This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Today's episode of the Chase to Must podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Panko Chicken. The new Atlanta restaurant thrives off of a unique spin on Japanese and Western cuisine and is already racking up the awards, winning Best Selling Taste in the Taste of Atlanta Awards both in 2017 and 2018. So if you're in the metro Atlanta area and are wanting to try something new and good and delicious, go to Panko Chicken today and tell them that I sent you over. You'll be glad you did, I promise. Panko Chicken, where eats meets West. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome back to a Wednesday night edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. We're a day away from Game One of the NBA Finals, and joining me tonight. It's been a little bit since we've talked on the podcast, but it's Jared Dubin. Jared, good evening, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. How are you? I'm good. Um, how has everything been? We've, we haven't talked in a while. Are you still um, the expert note taker on NBA Twitter? Uh, I try to be at least. Um, I don't know about expert, but I do as well as I can. What is? Uh, do you ever go back on your notes and just look through certain things from random games and you're like, oh, I forgot they did that or I can't believe that happened there? Um, do you do that at all? I definitely don't do random games, but certainly when I'm working on a story about a certain team, I will go back to the recent games that I've watched of them to see if there's anything that stands out that either fits the story that I'm writing or changes the story that I'm writing in some way or something that I should ask about that I haven't asked about yet or something like that. Um, and it, it definitely brings up some stuff sometimes that I didn't remember um, but I, I wouldn't say like, for example, I'm not just going to go back and read the notes of like a random Kings Pistons game that I watched for no reason. Um, mm-hmm. but if I was writing about someone on the Kings or somebody, somebody on the Pistons, then maybe I might read that game. And I don't, I don't know Makes if sense. I actually did the Kings Pistons games this year, but that was just <laughs> what I pulled off the top of my head. Hey, there may have been a great Marvin Bagley, Blake Griffin showdown at one point in game 63 between the two. You, we can't roll it out. <laughs> Yeah, that's probably true. Can we talk about quickly? Like that just reminded me, I didn't have it in my notes, but Dave Yeager is just like out of basketball. Like he, he just, the guy who's like the expert playing his next hand and getting to the next job and getting the next contract is just like gone and probably not getting another head coaching job this off season. Yeah, and somebody has the Wolves job, which is the job that he's been rumored to be getting for, I don't know, like eight years. Yeah, it's just not there. I, I don't, it's, it's fascinating. He's just like out. Um, I, I think he, I wonder what he does because he's just always been the guy looking for that next job. And um, obviously some murky situations with past jobs, but um, I don't know. I think it's fascinating that he's just gone. Um, 
has it helped or hurt your viewing experience at all with note taking? Because I do um, stuff when I'm writing about something or certain things for the podcast that I'll do, and I I do this for just about every NFL game that I watch. But basketball is a lot more difficult to note take and look up and down and. Um, just, I, I wonder for you, do you think it helps since you started doing this more consistently and putting it on Twitter and everything else is, is it helping you, um, learn more as a fit and then an analyst and that kind of stuff? Or do you think it's hurting your experience? Is this something you want to do long-term? Uh, how do you, how have you, uh, received this kind of stuff and look back on all your note taking? Is there, have you noticed any differences in that regard? Well, I would say that the the only thing that's changed for me is that I now, you know, make the notes semi-public. Um, last year, I posted them on Twitter, and this year, I posted them um, on Patreon, where, like, I use them to do last night in basketball anyway, and if you don't want to see my notes, like, I don't care, don't pay for them. Like, it doesn't, doesn't particularly matter to me. It's just for people that want sort of the added experience. Um, so I've been doing this anyway for... Let me go back on, actually, I've probably been doing it longer, but I have, you know, five seasons worth of notes just on this laptop. Really? And that's obviously, you know, well before I started posting them publicly. Um, and I, you know, I'm on like my third laptop covering the NBA. So it's, it's not necessarily a different experience for me personally. It's the, the difference is um, using them. Uh, posting them either publicly or semi-publicly and using them as the basis for, in addition to my writing, also uh, a video series that I've done every day. So I don't know that it's changed necessarily the way I watch or made me more uh, informed. I certainly pay much closer attention when I'm taking notes for a game than I do when I'm just sitting there and watching it. I find when I'm not taking notes, I end up mostly not paying attention because yep. it's more background noise and because I'm so used to the process of being, you know, keyed in on a game and taking notes on everything yes. that happens. Um, but, you know, I, I end up doing it. I think this year I was at 226 regular season games or something like that. Um, Man. Did you, how, do you plan out how do you, to make sure you're not watching too much of one team or do you plan out your schedule before the season starts and how yeah, I, that's going to go? Or do, I do. I plan out before the start of the season um, going through each day's schedule and writing down all of the games that I think I would want to watch, taking into account the either Knicks or Nets games that I'll be at uh, here in New York. Um, and then I sort of winnow those down. So I try to get, you know, I, I don't get an equal number of games, obviously, for every team. Um, mm. I put the better teams on there more often than I put the teams that are you know, not going to matter toward the end of the year. And then when I get to the All-Star break, I end up usually tearing up the second half of the schedule and remaking it from there until the end of the season, focusing mostly on um, the teams that have a shot at the playoffs. So you know, the, the teams that I watch the most games of, I'd probably say they come in somewhere around 30, and the teams that I watch the least come in somewhere around seven or eight. Do you take all your notes by hand? No, no. I do them straight into my laptop. Interesting. So you don't catch yourself. Do you, do you pause a lot? Do you go back and forth? Because I have a notebook that I do this by hand. So I have a bunch of like, um, that my office is just littered with, um, legal pads that have just all kinds of note taking 
on them. So I'm I'm like you, and that's why I'm so fascinated by this because it's really just I believe you, me, and Blake Murphy, who are psychos that um, just take notes on every game that they watch. And um, like you, I I don't I find myself just not paying as close of attention um, when I'm doing that. And also, if I put on headphones, I'm a lot more zoned in. So. Um, when I watch movies or anything else, like I prefer to watch them with headphones because I am just so easy, easily distracted that um, it's important to block out as much as I possibly can. I'm also one of those people that uh, listens to ASMR stuff all day long. So while I'm working, I have my earbuds in and I'm listening to um, this is probably extremely nerdy, but I'm just going to reveal this anyway. But there's an ASMR room uh, for Harry Potter and Game of Thrones. And I just go through, depending on my mood, I might be working in uh, the Defense for uh, Against Dark Arts classroom at one point. I might be in, Cat, uh, in King's Landing another point. But these are all very important things for me. But I also just, I do all of those things while note-taking all the time. And if I don't write it down, there's a strong possibility that I'm not going to remember it. But then I love going back the next night and being like, oh, they did this, like the Seahawks-Cowboys playoff game. I took notes the whole time. And I just looking back, I I, I was more angry. Oh, the Seahawks ran the ball into the yes. middle of the line like 17 yes, times you just against go one of the like, three best defenses in the league. Right. And you go through your notes and you're like, what the fuck? What? How did like it, my eyes weren't deceiving me and you like let it sit in and you just go back and you're like, what was Brian Schottenheimer doing? This is well, insane. Like, I, I, I love Schottenheimer. That. I think that's the answer there. <laughs> I mean, I know, but it's good for you. You're a Cowboys fan. So you must have enjoyed three that. things or three ways to respond to that. Um, one is I have never listened to ASMR. Um, usually I think you'd love it. When I'm not. Um, actively working i like to put on old tv shows that i've seen before just for background okay. I, I get distracted by music so i will just put on an old tv show where you know i've seen it a million times like i probably watched parks and rec 40 or 50 times at this point because i just have it playing mm. in a loop in the background um second is See, that's how um, i fall asleep i fall asleep to arrested development every single night because i know <laughs> my i've seen it so many times that my mind won't wander and i won't listen to the dialogue because i probably could quote every single episode word for word um second is it helps me a lot that i have set up my desk so that i do not have to turn away from the tv to see my laptop screen Uh, Mm. i am sitting at my desk right now and i can see my laptop out of my right eye and my tv out of my left eye and i don't really have to change um my viewing plane and you know so I, i do have to pause or rewind every once in a while. I don't have to be looking in a different direction and I can still, while I'm typing, generally see what's going on um, in any given game. So that works out pretty well for me in terms of the note-taking. And then I would say that um, you, me, and Blake are not the only ones that meticulously take notes um, on every game they watch. I mean, I know there are certainly plenty of others, but I mean, the, there are dozens of us. <laughs> yeah, the the guy I stole it from is Zach Lowe, who I talked to oh. in my law school's sports law symposium back in the day, and he told me that's what he does. And I was like, oh, well, that guy's really, really? good, so I'm going to do that. Um, and do you I, know if he still I does it? started doing it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he does. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, that's good to know. We're in good company, then, it sounds like. Um but that's interesting. And if you, how can people find the Patreon um, to support uh, your note-taking and uh, all your other good stuff? Um, it's on my Twitter, uh, at jadubin5. Um, yeah, so just the, the link is on my bio, I think. Okay. 
Cool. Well, go check it out. And, it's and I stuff. post them uh, during the games or after the games, I guess. There's a thread that I've been doing um, last night in basketball on my video series throughout the season, and there are links uh, in there to all of my notes from playoff games, and those pages also have the, the notes from a bunch of the regular season games as well. Okay. Good stuff. Um, well, let's talk about actual basketball. Uh, I'm very excited, Jared, because uh, for the last year, I don't know if you knew this or not, but um, I've banged this wooden table that my desk uh, that that has that I use as my desk uh, for all of my laptop and uh, just my all my writing stuff and just my podcast equipment. I have banged this table several times with different guests, saying that two things. I believed in very strongly that the Raptors were going to win the NBA title and that Kevin Durant was going to the Clippers. I, I still feel very strongly about both. Like when Mark Stein had that little nugget in his newsletter um, last week about Clippers and Kevin Durant, I had an aneurysm basically um, just because it, it felt very, very nice to be vindicated on that front because um, I've been very anti KD going to the Knicks for a long time, not because I don't want it to happen. And I feel any type of way as someone who is a Knicker blogger alum and friends with a lot of great people, shout out to Mike and everybody else who uh, Jim, all those guys, they're, they're great people, Robert. Uh, but um, I, I just think I, I just, I, I'm waiting for James Dolan to mess this up. And there is something about, and you know, Connor piece from Oh nine that I'll, um, ask you about in a little bit, but it just, it's hilarious how the exact um, narrative uh, it is uh, from 10 years ago on how LeBron just has to go to New York, that Kevin Durant just has to go to New York to fulfill his legacy and all this other nonsense. But um, I, I, the Raptors are here and they made it through the East. It's not the Celtics. It's not the Sixers. It's not the Bucks. It's the Raptors and Kawhi Leonard's been playing at another level. Um, what is like most interesting thing for me is if the Raptors end up winning the title, obviously, just because I have a very personal stake in this. But um, what is the most interesting thing for you as a basketball writer and analyst um, heading into this series? Um, I mean, I think it's going to be how the teams decide they want to match up defensively. Um, I wrote about it this morning, and my I basically did like what I've been doing throughout the playoffs: ten questions that'll define. The series, and one of them is I, I just think it's really interesting the different ways that the the Raptors can choose to use Kawhi on defense. Um, I think basically the two main options are either he can guard Draymond, and then if the <coughs> excuse me, if the Warriors want to run their Steph Draymond pick and roll, that means that they're going to switch it, and Kawhi will be on Steph a lot of the time, or they can then run somebody else is their primary pick and roll guy with Steph, which means they're not running their best pick and roll. Um, or they can put Kawhi on Andre Iguodala and he can sort of roam around and put out fires everywhere on the floor, sort of Draymond style, what he does, where I'd imagine he'll do the same thing when he's guarding Siakam on the other end, which I think is going to be how they match up. Um, and what the Raptors choose to do there, I think is going to tell us a lot about what kind of series they want it to be. And um, at least until Durant comes back, that to me is the most interesting tactical thing, at least. Yeah, and I feel like that's the the biggest talking point I've listened to and read about is um, how much we'll get Kawhi on Steph. Is, is Kawhi the type of defender that um, di- like because we haven't really seen it all that much, right? Like, uh, is Kawhi going to be able to handle defending Steph on a bunch of possessions and getting switched on him a bunch, um, along with? 
just carrying such a heavy offensive isolation, heavy burden? So I would say that they probably don't want him to guard stuff for the full games or even for full possessions. They're going to do it as a you know, late clock switch tactic if they do it at all. But also, this is something that I had in my story this morning. Uh, Kawhi has guarded Steph on 76 possessions in the past five seasons. So mm-hmm. this is not something that he does a lot. Very uh, often, yeah. N- none of them came this year, by the way. Uh, but those possessions mm-hmm. worked out really, really well for the Spurs. Steph's usage rate uh, was only 21.4 on those possessions, and the Warriors' offensive rating was 102.6. So... When he has guarded Steph, uh, it's worked out very well for his team in the past. He just doesn't really do it very much. I mean, 76 possessions in five years, realistically three years, because he didn't play at all last year and then he didn't guard him at all this year. But still, that's 76 possessions across presumably like at least 12 to 15 games, um, regular season and playoffs combined. So it's just, it's just not a lot. It's not something that he's done very often. I don't imagine it'll be something that he does – all that often in terms of, you know, like full stretches or full games, mostly because they do have other options, but also because he has to carry such a large load offensively and asking him to also be the step stopper on the other end. It's just a, it's a lot to ask. Is there any intrigue for you on the possibility of OG Ananobi returning in this series? Definitely. I mean, I think it makes okay. it easier for, the Raptors to also go small along with the Warriors if they get to those lineups. Um, Norm Powell just is sort of not big enough to handle those bigger wing matchups. And granted, mm-hmm. OG was, you know, sort of up and down for a lot of this year, um, you know, both physically with his play, dealing with injury issues, and then obviously his, his father passed away uh, early in the season. And that, you know, he's been pretty open, I think, about how that affected him a little bit throughout the year. Um, So he's not been the same player he was as a rookie. And also he's going to come off basically not having played for six weeks. So it's tough to, Mm. it's tough to count on him for a lot, but having that second big wing alongside Kawhi, I think is just so key to being able to push yourself into that look. So I, I do think if he comes back, that's an important little thing that could help them. Even if he's only limited to those minutes where they go small um, to, to, to counteract the Warriors' small lineups. Because if he's not there, then essentially you have to keep one of uh, Gasol or Ibaka on the court against those small lineups. And that's much easier to do uh, without Durant because you could have one of those guys, you know, presumably guard Livingston or Andre. Uh, but if Durant's there, there's not really as much of a hiding spot. And it's a little bit more difficult for especially Gasol to stay on the floor and guard Draymond. You know, Ibaka maybe could do it a little bit easier, but... It's just uh, it's just another feather in their cap to give them a little bit more flexibility. So I think it does matter. So he'd be playing the the four, the other wing in that situation. You would have Pascal at the five in that small lineup, is what I'm assuming there. Yeah, I mean, I think that that would be the best way to go about it. And then um, you know, Kyle and Danny, um, or or Kyle. What about Van Fleet or and Kyle. Like, it, yeah, I was going to say that series that made next. everything weird. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think it, it would be a little bit more challenging for Steph defensively if he had to guard Van Vliet than Danny yep. Green, just because, mm-hmm. you know, he's more likely to do some work on the ball. Um, but, you know, Van Vliet's not going to keep shooting 85% from three like he did in the last few games of that series. At least I don't think he is. Pretty unlikely. Um, you know, and Danny shot 45% from three this year. It was his best shooting season, I think, 
of his career um, and on considerably mm-hmm. more volume than he'd had during the past few years. So, you know, he is slumping obviously for the last six, seven games or so, but this is, you know, a guy who has been, um, you know, already in, I think three finals, two finals, three finals, um, had the best shooting finals in NBA history in 2013 and was maybe going to win finals MVP if the Spurs didn't uh, blow game six and game seven. Um, And he's, you know, probably the best shooter on the team. So I would expect him to bounce back at some point from this stretch. But if he doesn't, then, yeah, you could go with Ben Fleet in the backcourt too. Um, But Danny does also have a little bit more size, can switch a little bit more easily. If you want to be doing that going small, you don't have to be quite as scared of him, like, posting up against clay as he would if it was van vliet in that switch um so i mean again this is these are uh first world problems i guess um and and i think this is a large reason why the raptors are here is because they have all this flexibility and they were able to use it you know throughout the regular season and the playoffs even without ogm it'll be was there anything specifically the Raptors were doing offensively to free Van Fleet for him to go off the way he did? Because he changed the series. He changed a lot of what they did. And I mean, obviously Kawhi was great, but like Van Fleet was just, he was just so good. And like you said, he shot well, but like, was there anything in your note taking that you saw that they were doing differently? Like any kind of flares or just better screens or Van Fleet just getting better looks? Like what was it about Van Fleet that was um, helping him? And was Danny green and a lot of these misses, were they good looks that he was, he was missing mostly. And like, it gives you um, some hope that like his shot looks fine and his release and everything. He's not just demoralized or anything like that. I, I know those are two separate questions, but that's, I, I'm very fascinated by these two guys so i would say that the answers to both questions are the same they were getting exactly the same quality looks and one guy meant for went from making none of them to making all of them and the opposite happened with the other guy like all four of danny green's misses in game six were wide open threes with nobody within like five feet of him and they just didn't go in and it's not like his shot looks broken or off or he missed them horribly or anything they just all didn't go in which was the case in the previous games as well. And I wouldn't even say Van Vliet was more open than he was earlier in the postseason. He just made like 85% of his shots rather than missing 85% of his shots like he had been previously. I really don't think the quality of their looks changed or really what they were doing offensively to free those guys changed. Like they were still, they don't run all that much stuff for Danny, but they were running essentially the same things. Like, where there's a pick and roll and then he'll leak out in the corner off of the flare screen. And they were still running that for him over the last few games. And he just wasn't making that shot or, you know, they were doing the same things that they normally do uh, for Van Vliet. And, you know, I think Kawhi made, you know, some better reads, some better passes. Those last um, two games of the series might've been the two best passing games of his entire career. Um, But I mean, I don't think that the quality of look Van Vliet was getting was necessarily a lot better. He just made them. He even made some super tough looks, like, you know, an isolation step back three um, over, I think it was Lopez, and he made, you know, one with Giannis's hand in his face. Um, so in addition to making the open shots that he was already getting, he made a couple tough shots too. Whereas Danny, I mean, he, he missed a couple of floaters that, you know, those are Basically, I mean, who who the hell knows if they're ever going to go in or not? This floater has been one of, like, the biggest adventures in the league for years now. But, I mean, the threes he was missing were the kind of looks that he typically gets. They just kind of didn't go in. 
which for me that like we we say that like okay those are eventually gonna fall and then we think about the rockets last year where well no sometimes they just never fall and that's the end of your season um i hope that's not the case for danny but like you said like just his his finals resume and um best case scenario for the raptors and they might need this more than anything do you think they need danny green and fred van fleet to have just insane seasons or do you think they can still get by and potentially um, beat the Warriors without both going off and only getting a a big time performance from one of them? Um, I don't know that they need insane series from both of them. They certainly need, you know, at least one of those guys to be the weak side shooter um, and floor spacer because the Warriors are going to help very liberally off anybody who is not making shots. Like, I would expect Draymond to start the series just not guarding Siakam at all and doing Mm -hmm. that until he proves that he can make those threes or make the cuts at the right times and in the right places to beat him. Um, They will dare anybody who's not a knockdown shooter to shoot. Um, And they'll trust that Draymond knows exactly the right amount to help off and still be able to recover. And I think they'll do the same, whether it's with Clay or Iguodala or Steph, even if they're guarding Danny Green or if they're guarding Van Vliet, um, the only guys that, that really I would expect to get super tight coverage pretty much all the time are Kawhi and Lowry. Like, I bet they'll even lay off Gasol at the start of the series and see if he decides that he wants to get, you know, trigger shy again, like he did for, you know, the first couple games against Milwaukee. Um, that's just what they do. They're going to make the guys shoot and prove that they can make them. And otherwise, they're just going to choke off your access to everything else. If yeah, like, it, how would you think the Warriors are hoping um, Kawhi Leonard? Uh, like, wh- who do the who do you think that Steve Kerr is hoping that uh, Nick Nurse puts Kawhi on the most? Is there a, a game plan that the Warriors are hoping that Nick Nurse employs against them? Is there some kind of matchup that they hope that they can get Kawhi on this particular player, and um, that's an advantage for them? Is there anyone in particular, or do you think that it's just going to be a lot of switching, so they just are just going to have to play it by ear? Um, I don't think that there's really any good, good option of anybody that you want Kawhi to be guarding. Um, mm. You just got to see who he's guarding and adjust accordingly. Um, not that that means that they're going to, you know, dramatically change their offense based on who he's guarding, but maybe they decide to use Andre as a screener more if he's on Draymond. So they, it's not like they don't have confidence in him to make those plays, or maybe they even use uh, Looney or Bell or Jones or whoever they start at center because Kerr for some reason refuses to start Looney. Um, and they, you know, see how well Marcus Gasol's pick and roll defense can hold up in space. Um, they, they will just sort of attack whatever they feel your weakest point is. And a lot of times that's going to mean not attacking Kawhi. And, you know, that's just the way they're going to do it. If, if they say, all right, Kawhi is guarding Draymond and you want to keep Kawhi out of the play entirely, go ahead, you know. Um, they'll beat you left-handed because you're not going to beat them left-handed for the most part. So let's just say that Kevin Durant is just out for this series and DeMarcus Cousins doesn't come back either. Um, how does this play out for the Warriors? How does the series go for them? <sighs> That's really tough to say. I mean, I would imagine they're going to look a whole lot like they looked during the last series. It's going to be a lot of Steph Draymond pick and roll, um, you know, on, unless Kawhi is guarding Draymond, then maybe they adjust a little bit and it's, you know, Steph Looney or Steph Andre or Steph Clay or whatever matchup they decide. 
they want to attack, um, you know, they're going to be flying all over the court, moving the ball, making every screen, every cut as hard as humanly possible. And they're just going to stress you until, you know, you make a mistake somewhere. And on the other end, they're going to, I think, help off of whoever they can help off of to choke off your access to the paint and to free, to free drives and drive and kicks and dare guys to make shots until they do. And then they'll adjust after that happens. I mean, they're, they're going to make you beat them doing something that you don't want to do. And they're going to do whatever they want on the other end, unless you force them to do something else. And they're fine doing that too. Do you think Dwayne Casey could have had the same exact run with the same exact group in Toronto this year, or is Nick nurse doing things that Dwayne Casey just wouldn't have done? I don't know that he's doing things that Dwayne wouldn't have done. Um, he's doing things. I think specifically like they're, I, said it a bunch of times this year their sideline out of bounds plays were the best of any team in the league this season and granted that is a very small percentage of plays that you're running throughout the year but that's a specific thing and it's not like Dwayne had bad out of bounds plays um I just think that nurses were especially notable this year and they were you know the the best that I've seen this season period um which for me is something that I just like a lot because I'm a nerd like that um, but I mean, it's, it's tough to say what Dwayne would have done with this team because he never got to coach this team. You know, yeah. um, he didn't have Marcus Hall. He didn't have Kawhi Leonard. He didn't have Danny Green. It's just a much different team than he ever coached. So, and he didn't have this version of Siakam either. So, I mean, I, I think it's a considerably better team than the ones that he got to coach and he got to coach some pretty good teams. Um, I wouldn't say that they dramatically changed all that much on either end of the floor. They just, you know, made tweaks here and there. They executed better. They had better players. Turns out having better players, it uh, it matters, especially in the playoffs. <laughs> Who could have ever um, foreseen something like that? Um, what is the biggest challenge for Draymond Green in this series? Biggest challenge? Um, I mean, if they, if they decide that they want him to guard Kawhi at some point, that's going to be the biggest challenge, I guess. Um, but before that, I mean, he's just going to, you know, do Draymond things, going to hang out basically wherever he wants on defense and muck everything up and make you go in a different direction than you probably want to go. And obviously it's, I would imagine it's physically taxing and challenging to, you know, run as many pick and rolls as he does, or, or at least as he has over the last, uh, I guess, what is it? Six games or five games that they haven't had KD. And then also, you know, guard as much in space as he does and be the guy that leads their break. I mean, I don't know if there's a specific challenge for him as much as it is just he has to keep doing so much because he's so key to everything that they do without them having, you know, the benefit of being able to say, you know what, we're just going to dump it into KD on this possession. Hmm. I, I, I wonder, I wonder if there's part of them, if they could ever, if we could ever inject them with some truth serum. Um, the big three in Golden State. I wonder if they would admit that they're having more fun right now in these five games post Durant, and if they were able to go nine and zero with this group, the ones that just kind of the, the OGs of the Golden State Warriors. I wonder if there is some part of them that would just relish that so much more than just steamrolling the Raptors with Kevin Durant. I wonder if they would if if that's the kind of mindset that that they might have what do you think um i don't think that they're necessarily having more fun i certainly think they're having a lot of fun sticking it to people 
who thought that they were going to fall apart. Not that there was a enormous group of those people, but they definitely relished the opportunity to be like, yeah, that's not going to happen. Um, and like, those guys are all like friends with KD. They're not like, you know, resentful of him and being like, you know, nobody thinks that we could win without you. And now we're going to do it to spite you. Like, I don't think that's what it is at all. Um, you know, they're, they're teammates and their friends. They like him. They don't want him to be hurt. They don't want him to be, you know, on the outs or whatever. Like they've gone essentially bend over backwards throughout the entire playoffs to be like, we respect you so much. We want you. We need you. You're the best player in the league. Like they wouldn't be doing that if they were resentful of them and wanted him gone, you know? Um, so I don't think they would say that they're enjoying it more necessarily, but I think they certainly are enjoying it. Um, I guess that's where I come down with it. Yeah, I guess it's, it's not even that, like, I think we can all acknowledge that they like Kevin Durant and they like him being around and they know that he's this, the arguably the best player in the world right now. I think it's just more of, um, if you're a fiery competitor and you're a professional and just hearing that people like the Kevin Durant is the best player on your team and, uh, you need him to win. And he like, it, it's just like the whole, we, you forgot about how good us three were just by ourselves. And I, I just have to think that a team that was so committed to breaking the bulls record or season win record would relish going nine and zero and winning it all without Kevin Durant and DeMarcus Cousins. I just, I, I just have to believe there's some part of them that would love that. They'd feel bad for their friend not being around. Um, and obviously they would love to have Kevin Durant around because I, I just don't see a path. I, I, I don't know. Do you see a path if Kevin Durant was healthy this whole series for the Raptors to win? Or is the only reason that the Raptors have a chance that Kevin Durant is just potentially not going to be around? Um, I don't know that I see no path at all. Like certainly like the, 73 and nine team lost to the Cavs. Um, and I think that this Raptors team is pretty comparable in terms of how good they are compared to that Cavs team. But, you know, that Cavs team won mostly because LeBron played completely out of his mind for seven games and Kyrie made, you know, one of the biggest shots in history. So, I mean, we've seen Kawhi hit not quite the level that LeBron hit in 2016, but he's been pretty damn good. And, uh, you know, if he maintains that level, then certainly there's a chance for them to win. Like, if he's the best player in the series, that matters a whole lot. It's just a matter of him actually doing it. So how do you how do you see it going? Um, and then we'll move on. How, what is your official NBA Finals prediction? Oh, man, I don't know that I have necessarily an official um, prediction just yet. I've sort of been, you know, tossing it around in my head. I'm, I'm leaning toward the Warriors. I just think they're, they're that good. I certainly see the merits of the reasons that everybody um, is sort of like, don't count out the Raptors. But at a certain point, I'm also like the Warriors are so good that I feel like wrong picking, <laughs> picking against them. We, you know, whether KD comes back or not and whether Boogie comes back or not. Uh, but I don't think it's going to be a blowout necessarily. Like I could see it going five games, but all of them are, you know, incredibly close, tough games. I wouldn't see, you know, for example, like what happened with the Blazers where they swept them, but, you know, they had to make 17-point comebacks in three of those games. Um, I don't think it's going to be that kind of a series, but I, I can see it being five or six or seven. Like, any of those seems within the realm of possibility, and it's more about, I think, how much the Raptors can get their guys in addition to Kawhi playing really well at the same time, how many of those games do they get? 
I have Raptors in seven. And I think that what also sneaky helps them is that they have home court. That is, uh, I feel like, an underrated part of this whole finals matchup. Uh, sorry, I uh, lost you for a second there. Oh, no, but I just, my last thing is, like, I have the Raptors winning in seven, and I just, I, I think something that isn't really being talked about that's just going to help them is that they get home court. Like, I, I think that's a really nice thing for an underdog to have home court advantage in the series. Um, it is a nice thing. Uh, I would also say it doesn't necessarily matter all that much. I mean, we saw them go win the one series where they didn't have home court last year. They beat Houston in Houston That's true. in game seven. Um, granted that the, the, uh, the Rockets didn't have Chris Paul, but the, obviously the Warriors didn't have Andre Iguodala and they, you know, staged a pretty big comeback in that game as well. It's not like they're strangers to winning pretty much anywhere. Um, they, I would imagine, feel very confident that they could win a game in any building at any time, and rightfully so. Um, like, I wouldn't put it past them to clinch on the road, you know? that's They're that good, and they're that confident in their ability to win anywhere, and I think they should be. You know, it's better to be home against them than it is to be on the road, certainly, and that's, you know, something that is I wouldn't say it gives them an advantage as much as it would say that it's better than having to be on the road. That's fair. Um, but I'm excited. I'm glad it's happening finally tomorrow. So it's it's going to be hopefully a fun series and a very memorable one. So we'll we'll have to just watch and uh, take some notes and we'll we'll have <laughs> to reconvene with uh, what we saw uh, down the road, Jared. Um <laughs> Do you think we should be concerned at all about the Rockets' new owner? Um, it turns out um, owners are not the same, and billionaires um, are not the same in this transition of power from Leslie Alexander to the new dude. Um, it uh, I don't know. This weird stuff with Roy Rogers and Jeff Bezedlik leaving and all of D'Antoni's assistants leaving and Morgan, the extension. Um, are you at all concerned that the Rockets may actually have a potentially disastrous owner coming into play and um, we should brace ourselves for things to get very scary in Houston very quickly. Um, I don't know about disastrous or very scary, very quickly. Um, certainly it looks like things might be changing a little bit from the way they were um, under Les Alexander, but you know, I think every owner when they come in sort of asserts themselves and decides they're going to do things a certain way. And I think there's a learning curve for owners, just like there is um, for coaches and for players. And Tillman Fertitta will go through his own learning curve. Maybe that involves him, you know, consolidating power, and he does turn out to be a bad owner. Maybe it involves him deciding, you know what, I'm going to step aside and I'm going to pay as much as it takes. We don't know what it's going to be. I think it's going to take several years for to become whatever it is and um it's just sort of you know when i see it play out i can't say with confidence one way or the other what's going to happen there's a really good piece in texas monthly about tillman for tita i still don't know how to pronounce his name do, do we know what how to pronounce his last name yet i think it's it for Tita, but i'm not 100 okay. percent sure on that well, there's this piece in here about um for Tita in texas monthly and it's not a glowing endorsement 
um, it seems like a lot of people that know him um, kind of see him as an asshole. So I I don't know. I, I think this is just going to be interesting to to monitor um, over the next. I couple would years, also kind of. say um, being an asshole is not necessarily mutually exclusive from being good at your job or being an owner. Um, True. So you know, who knows? I don't know him really on any level at all. I've never even seen him in person, so I can't say necessarily one way or the other, like I said. Yeah, I mean, there's just a, one little tidbit to he like was surprised to learn that so many people seem to think he's such a jerk, so wrong, so nasty, blah, blah, blah. So, I don't know. It's a good piece. It's called Big Fish in Texas Monthly, but I, I don't know. I think it's fascinating. I would think that um, most people who are viewed that way are probably surprised by it, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, unless you're just... Um, I, I don't know. Yeah, I guess I guess that makes sense. But then again, if you're... I don't know. This is... Uh, like, if you have the self-awareness stuff. to know that you're viewed as an asshole you probably would have the self-awareness to change your behavior so that you're not an asshole but if you or you just admit that you this is who you are you're a certain age and maybe like that assholeness is what got you to where you're at and you embrace it as like this is just part of my shtick and this is part of the reason i'm successful so i'm just going to keep doing that i think there are a lot of people that just double down and accept that they're adults and they can't change but i would think that also those people view themselves as not being assholes they view themselves as you know doing what it takes to succeed in business or whatever Hmm. you know it's it's, you twist yourself into uh, a certain kind of logic when you hit that point I guess I don't know. I have a. I mean, I probably consider myself kind of a dick, and I don't know. I mean, that's. Eh, eh, it is what it is. I, I, I like. I would never be surprised if anyone was like, "Chase is kind of a dick." I'd be like, "Okay, I get it. That's, that's fair." Completely different than like you know organizations worth of people being like, "Oh my god, that's an ass." I, I haven't read this story, that's but that's basically you know what it sounded like you were describing, and and I think. Hey, Chase is kind of a dick is a lot different than you know this guy is a raging ass. Hey, Jared, you don't know me. You from, don't know me. You know. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's probably a little bit different. Um, would moving on from Dan Tony be such a bad thing with the way they've gone out the last two years? Like, would it really be like to to shake things up and just be like, okay, this this core has run its course. The the CP stuff has run its course with Harden and Tucker, and um, we just didn't have the horses to make this all work. Like, would it be that crazy to move on from Dan Tony? Because I feel like depending on who you could get, um, I don't know. I, I like if you could replace Dan Tony with even Ty Lue. I I just I don't know. I don't know if that would be like such a a crazy thing. I wonder if that's they're they're kind of pushing him out by getting not keeping his assistance. I don't know. What do you think? I mean, it certainly seems like they're trying to push him out just from, you know, my removed vantage point. Um, I don't know that I necessarily would say it would be crazy to move on from him, but like who are you getting that's gonna do a necessarily better job? Like, do we even know I wouldn't say we know that Tyloo is a bad coach, but do we even know really all that much about him as a coach at all? I think when you coach a LeBron team, um, there's really not been anybody that's been able to have, you know, a, a super, um, you know, dominant impact on the way that team plays, um, at least on offense, you know, on defense, there've been, you know, different styles, whether it was Spolstra where they had the aggressive blitzing or Tyloo where they, you know, did, basically didn't try during the regular season or didn't try during the playoffs. And then, you know, they did whatever they were going to do in that given season against the Warriors. Um, 
So I don't know that there's necessarily a guy that you could say, um, yeah, that guy's going to be better than D'Antoni and we should move on from him because of that. Um, I also don't know that you could say that this core is necessarily run its course. Like if Durant leaves the Warriors, the Rockets are probably back among the inner circle group of contenders again next year. Um, you know, they still have one of the, you know, five or so best players in the league. You guys can be the best player in the league on any given night. Um, Chris Paul, though people uh, are rightfully scared of what that contract is going to be a few years down the line, was awesome this year when he was on the court, was awesome in the playoffs. Uh, Clint Capella, I think, is still like 24. So even though, you know, he was not good um, in their second round series against the Warriors, this is a guy who was awesome last year, awesome last year in the playoffs, including against the Warriors awesome for most of this regular season, awesome in the first round, and then just didn't have a good series against like maybe the best team ever. You know, PJ Tucker is still very good. They still have a bunch of other guys on that team that are still very good. Like, I don't think they're that far off. It's just that they happen to be very good at a time when maybe the best team ever is also really good and plays in their conference. And, you know, so you don't get to the finals and you don't get to the Western conference finals. So, I mean, to say that they would be completely insane to fire D'Antoni, like, you know, you want to fire a coach, fire a coach. Like, you should probably have reasons for it, but teams make changes for all sorts of reasons all the time, and a lot of them are even dumber than, well, he didn't beat the best team ever. So, you know, if they want to do it, they should do it, but I don't know necessarily that there's a guy that's going to take this group and make them so dramatically different that they're going to suddenly be better than the Warriors. Like, I don't think that guy exists. Yeah. Um, I wonder too, like part of like when I saw this story break, I was just thinking that like, oh, I wonder how much of this stems from Harden. Uh, who was he talking to? Steph at the All-Star game where he was like, I, I want to change the way I play and stuff like that. I wonder if that, part so of this I think just... that sort of got blown out of proportion. Um, mm-hmm. He was basically like, I don't want to have to play like this because they had like six guys hurt. And he was having to do everything. He wasn't like making a, you know, a larger critique about the state of the Rockets and the way they conduct themselves and, or anything like that. I don't think at least like, you know, if you watched the clip, it was like, you know, I don't want to have to do this, but this is what we're doing. And Mike said the same thing. Like, I don't want James to have to do this, but Chris Paul is out and, you know, whoever they didn't have Austin Rivers yet. Capella was out at the time. Um, Nene was also out at the time. They were playing like six and a half guys every night. Like, he did everything because he needed to do everything for that stretch. And then when they got more guys back, he, he didn't do quite as much. That's fair. Um, I, this is one of those things. We just don't know what's going on behind the scenes, but I would mm-hmm. be extremely fascinated to get more, um, more insight into the back, just the behind the scenes politics going on in Houston right now, because I just feel like sure. there's a lot, below the surface that we just we're not privy to and we uh, yeah never and i mean look it's, i think some of it is um somewhat obvious from the um context clues of what's happening with you know coaching staffs and whatnot you know you can sort of mm-hmm. extrapolate several obvious things that are pretty true uh from from what's going on there um but i'm sure some of it is stuff that we didn't know about like there was a report i think today that uh, James and Chris had some sort of something happen at some point this year. And that's not something that we necessarily knew. So, you know, I'm sure that there's more that is under discussed and there's some that'll come out that is bullshit and some that'll come out that is true. How bad is CP3's contract right now? Um, I I think it's being made out to be a little bit worse than it is because, Mm. you know, while it's, 
a lot of money and you don't want to pay him that he's still like really good. It's it's not like you're paying $45 million to like Chandler Parsons who couldn't be on the court for most of the last two years. Like, yes, he has missed a bunch of games, but when he's been on the floor, he's been very, very, very good. So he was still 13th uh, in real plus minus this year. He just wasn't number two. Like he was last year. Like he, it, all it was, was just, he was not as good, but also the hamstring stuff is real. Like there was a really good piece in the LA times about like the, just what a hamstring injury does to a basketball player and just how difficult it is to come back. I'm, from the I'm injury. dealing with one right now. It's like, it's, you have, it changes like the whole way your body moves. Like, right. You, you walk differently even. Um, and, and he's still been very good. And granted it's, this is paying for his decline with an escalating amount of salary each year. But that's the case for literally like every player over 26. Um, the decline just happens to be a little bit more dramatic as you get into your mid to late thirties and a little bit more dramatic for smaller point guards. But I think he's also staved off the steep, steep decline that we usually see from guys, his age and guys, his size. So, you know, while it's not a positive value contract in terms of you're probably going to get, you know, more production than your money's worth towards the back end of the deal. It's not like you're getting a nothing player. If you, if you get that guy on that contract, you're getting very good play. Um, it, maybe not you're $44 million dollars worth of play. Yeah. You're, you're probably getting 60 or so games and probably not $45 million worth of production, but maybe $30 million worth of production. And that's really good. Yeah, especially, I mean, it depends on the context of each team that he might get traded to. But, like, it, people just overlook certain things. Like, Joel Embiid played 64 games this year. Curry played 69. I mean, 58's not great, but LeBron played 55. And you look at up and down the list of just guys that still had an impact. And I just think it's a it's a different situation. And he's just going to be on a different um, playing field going forward. And you just have to view him differently. But like you said, when he's on the floor, you know he's good. He's just not going to be as available. But ultimately, I think that comes down to um, what team he moves on to if he does get traded or if the Rockets are able to find another star to kind of um regroup from those missed games and those missed minutes from cp3 because just how dominant that cp3 uh clint capella james harden uh trio was last year like they were just insane when they were all on the court together and um i i don't know i think it's interesting what's going to go on here and if they actually are able to trade that cp3 contract um I, like i, I, I don't think it's an like an Andrew Wiggins type contract before you keep going. Um, I wrote a piece for 538 at the end of the season about, you know, which players outperform their contract by the most, um, basically which players provided their team with the most financial value throughout the year. And I did this, you know, using, uh, you know, an adjusted version of ESPN's real plus minus and distributing the amount of dollars and salary that were gave out in the league. I found the dollar value of a win and then took each guy's, you know, wins that they were credited with from real plus minus and compared it to their salary. And, uh, Pascal Siakam was number one in that, but, you know, we said like maybe Chris Paul's not going to be $45 million worth of production. Maybe he might be 30 this year. He was 28.1. So pretty close. Still very good. Yeah, for sure. Um, as much as we all love Daryl Morey, is there any chance with just the current, um, treasure trove of assets that he actually has? Like, can he really do anything this summer that shakes them up and keeps them atop at of the, the line Western conference team. Like if you move CB three, can you really get enough in return to keep things going with Harden and help uh, lessen his offensive burden? Like what can he realistically do in your opinion? 
Um, I mean, I wouldn't put anything past him. He was ready to trade like four first round picks for Jimmy Butler earlier this year, supposedly. Yeah. Uh, um, so, you know, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what he tries and we'll see what he's successful at, obviously, but he's going to do everything in his power to make his team the best team in the league. That's what he does every year. And again, like, I don't think that they are suddenly not a Western conference power because they lost to, you know, again, maybe the best team ever in six games. And, and that just happened to be in the second round of the playoffs instead of the conference finals. Um, they're still going to be very good next year, whether they make a big move for somebody else or not. Um, obviously, I would imagine that they want to, and certainly the reports indicate that they're willing to do pretty much anything to make themselves the best team rather than, you know, the second, third, or fourth, or fifth, or whatever best team. Um, but, you know, it's it's not like they're not good, you know? Like, they can make small tweaks if they want and still be one of the best teams in the league next year. They can blow things up and try to become a entirely different team, or they can make one big move that adds to what they have. You know, they, they've got a lot of options. Um, and while they did give up, I think a few of their assets this year to dump salary at a certain point, I mean, they made two different trades with the bulls where they gave them a player in cash in exchange for nothing. Um, that was Carmelo and Michael Carter Williams. Uh, um, so, I mean, there's, there's different things that they can do, but, um, you know, we're going to have to wait and see. Yeah, I'm just waiting for, like, the Rockets get involved in the D'Angelo Russell stuff, and they take him away from Brooklyn, or, like, they get really intense into the Anthony Davis sweepstakes. Like, Daryl Moore just comes out of nowhere and brings in Anthony Davis. Um, That would be... Yeah, I mean, look, if, if Anthony Davis ends up on the market, like, I guarantee you Daryl will try to get him, like... Yeah. <laughs> that's what he does. Um, you know, with D'Angelo Russell or any other free agent, they're going to have to clear a whole lot of cap space if they want to go after somebody who's a free agent. Otherwise, they're going to have to make a trade and a signing trade at that, and that would hard cap them. And that's you know pretty difficult with their financial situation. What it is? Lakers or Knicks? Are we sure either of these two franchises get a gets a superstar this summer? No. Okay, we're on the same page because I, I don't think either of them are getting anybody. I, I really don't. Yeah, I mean, look, it's certainly possible that neither of them gets anybody. It's possible that both of them get somebody. It's possible both of them get multiple somebodies. Um, you know, we have no idea realistically what these guys are going to want to do. Um, it's possible that they don't know what they're going to want to do. And it might depend on what somebody else is going to do or, you know, what the teams want to do. Um you know, I, I just feel like we're out of our minds if we're expecting Rob Palenka, Jeannie Buss, Steve Mills, and James Dolan to wind up with multiple superstars in the same summer. Like, I, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills and people talking themselves into that. Like, LeBron yeah, I mean, can hang out with say, as many um, stars as he wants. Like, it's not happening. Steve Mills is not getting two of the top 10 players in basketball in the same summer. It's not happening. I refuse to believe Steve Mills and James Dolan are capable of that kind of thing. Yeah, I would say um, just on the Knicks front, like the amount that James Dolan is going to be involved in this is like very minimal. Um, it'll be, do you know that for sure? Yeah. I mean, he's like his presence, even at games this year was minimal. Obviously, you know, he's the guy that signs the checks and has to be involved on a certain level, but I don't imagine that he's going to be, um, in pitch meetings or if there even need to be pitch meetings with some of these guys, like, you know, from reports throughout the year, like maybe some guys have already made up their minds, who knows? Um, but I, I would imagine it's going to be Steve Mills, Scott Perry, David Fisdale that are the guys doing the pitching rather than uh, James Dolan. No Alan Houston. 
Uh, I don't know about Alan Houston. I mean, he's the GM of technically the Westchester Knicks and still the, I believe, assistant GM of the actual Knicks. I don't remember what his exact title is, but, um, you know, the Lakers. His title is Shadow GM. Like, I was at a Hawks game like 10 years ago, and he was, I, I was like the only person in Atlanta to point out, oh, that's Alan Houston. What's he doing? And his assistant hated me. Because I like went up and I was like, hey, is that Alan Houston? And he like looked over and his assistant was like, yes, this is Alan Houston. I'm like, awesome. Can I, Alan, what's going on? And I like just being a dumb freshman in college, I was just like, oh, he would love to talk basketball with me during this (laughs) game that he's watching for the Knicks and just trying to do his job. Um, But it was great. He was super nice. He's super chill. But like he has been in this front office, I feel like forever and has a lifelong job in in this group. Like Alan Houston is just my favorite figure um, and the Knicks just... Uh, pantheon that just seems like he no matter what uh just front office upheaval they go through alan houston still just finding ways to stay on the payroll and i'm i'm here for it uh yeah he is um the the front office version of what herb williams was in the coaching ranks where no matter who the coach was for years herb williams was always an assistant coach um alan houston has been there through i don't know like six or seven different GMs and front offices and yeah. presidents of basketball operations at this point. Um, I love it. I, I'm here I for don't it. Particularly it's ridiculous. I don't know. get it, but I love it. <laughs> it's a very Nixian thing. I, I don't understand it. Um, if you were LeBron, what would you do? How would you approach this summer? Which would, would it be enough? Would it be? A, I don't think anybody would like vin, like vilify him for asking out. I really don't. Um. I don't know. I mean, LeBron can I would basically ask do. This is not getting better. Would LeBron you bet can basically on any of this do whatever better? he wants at this point. But also, like, what yeah. are the Lakers getting in a trade for LeBron that's going to make any sense to, for them on like any level? Like, he could ask out, but like, what's the situation where he's going and where they're getting anything that makes it? Like, I don't know that you can. I don't know that you can actually trade LeBron James. Like, how does that even work? I, I don't know, but I want to see it. I, I need it. Um, and also, LeBron did this to himself. So, like, part of me is just, like, this is, like, Matt Moore's island of just LeBron didn't have to do this. He could have signed wherever he wanted. and he could have. There were a lot better basketball situations, like Philly and Houston, that he could have gone to, and he spurned those for a dysfunctional franchise that he had to have some inkling was dysfunctional um, going into it. But uh, I don't know. He, he did this to himself. He could have just gone to the Clippers. He should have just gone to the other LA team. Um, but he didn't. He chose the Lakers. But at the same time, I don't like LeBron James just missing um, the playoffs and towards the end of his prime and just this not getting better. And I, I don't like I, I just I don't think this is fixable. I think this is just if he stays in L.A. for these remainder uh, the remainder of these three years, then it's just going to be super depressing and super just painful. I, but like you said, like, how do you change? How do you trade LeBron James? I, I don't I don't know, but um, I want him traded. That's, I guess, my. I mean, I, I, I don't particularly know how it works. I also don't think um, if he makes it through a whole season that they would miss the playoffs again. Um, yeah. I'm not into the, well, they were the fourth seed when he got hurt. Like, they were the fourth seed, but they were like closer to 10 than they were to two, I think, at the time. So it's, you know, they were in that spot. But, like, I don't think for there's any, like, by any stretch of the imagination that they would have missed the playoffs if LeBron played and was fully healthy the whole season and played like all 82, like he did last year. Um, and I don't think that that would happen next year either. 
I think he could drag pretty much anybody to the playoffs, especially if some of these guys from the West migrate to the East. Yeah, I don't think so. And especially now, did you see that his son is going to be playing with Dwayne Wade's son next year? I did not see that, but that's pretty cool. Yeah. So I think he's, I think he's just set up in his post basketball world. I don't think he cares anymore. I think he feels like his legacy's done. I, I really don't think LeBron James cares about um, things that LeBron James used to care about because he's getting older and he's, I don't know. I mean, it's a fair thing to look at. It just like, eh, I'm gonna go enjoy myself in L.A. And I mean, I would say happens. that um, he doesn't care about defense, but I would mm-hmm. not say that he doesn't care about like winning and being really good and trying to, you know, get back to the finals and win the finals again. Like, I think that anybody that thinks LeBron doesn't care about that probably doesn't know LeBron all that well. Not to say that I know LeBron all that well, but from what I do know about him, like, the dude wants to win everything all the time. Um, So I wouldn't say that he necessarily is just, like, done playing basketball and doesn't care about being, you know, competitive and winning at all at this point. Um, But I also think he went there for reasons outside of just that. And, you know... I think that's certainly a valid um, choice of what someone wants to do with his life. You know, he made it, I think, deliberately harder on himself, uh, both by going to the West and by going to an organization that pretty much seems like an embarrassment right now. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's not like the Cavs weren't an embarrassment before he got there and they won the title. So, you know, who knows what will happen? LeBron has made playing at teams into things that they were not before he got there and that were much better than what they seemed like they should have been on the surface. Um, I don't necessarily expect them to land like a game changing superstar this summer, but they, you know, they also have the fourth pick. They got a bunch of young guys that people like to varying degrees around the league. I'm sure they will be very aggressive in trying to get literally anybody to come play with LeBron this summer. And, you know, if LeBron is, not even a hundred percent locked in. If he's like 80, 90% locked in, he's one of the small handful of best guys in the league. And more often than not, those guys go to the playoffs and go pretty far. He just happened to miss like whatever it was, 25 games this year. So they didn't go to the playoffs. Um, it's weird. And it's definitely uh, not what I expected. I think I, I think I said before the season that there were like two teams in the West, that I would say I was 100% confident they would make the playoffs. And I was like, LeBron is not missing the playoffs because I failed to account for the possibility that LeBron was human and could possibly get hurt and miss 25 games. So, you know, that was a mistake on my part, but I also wouldn't expect LeBron to miss the playoffs like again, you know, until he does. And then we're like, Oh, this is two years (laughs) in a row of LeBron not being here because I don't think they're making the playoffs next year. The West is too deep. And I think this team's still going to suck. Unless I would say like we would, how can we possibly know what the West is going to look like next year? Like the West could possibly not have Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, Anthony Davis, or yeah, they could possibly not have all three of those guys. And the Clippers could get nobody in free agency. Like, oh, the Clippers no are idea. getting one or two. No, the Clippers we are getting no idea. Like, Kevin Durant. But, okay, you're asserting these things with like 100% confidence. We have 100%. no idea what's going to happen. <laughs> like, <laughs> I will quit this podcast if the Clippers do not get either Kawhi Leonard or Kevin Durant. Who knows? I mean, we, I'm just saying we don't know what condition the West is going to be in next year. So to say, like, they're definitely like not going to It's safe we don't, to bet on well, the first West. First of all, we don't know what condition <laughs> the West is going to be on. We don't know who's going to be on that team also. Like, it could be LeBron and 14 new guys for all we know. 
That's true. I, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see. Um, but what could go wrong with Jason Kidd getting the head coaching job midway through the season? Um, last thing, then we'll wrap up here. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm not trying to tell you that like, the Lakers are good and stable and definitely going to be really good. I'm just saying I don't particularly expect LeBron, if he's on the court for most of the season, to miss the playoffs again because he's just that good. Okay. I think the Lakers are missing the playoffs again next year. Um, Brooklyn. Yeah. Real quick, uh, would you, if you're Sean Marks, do you think it's a wise idea to invest in both Kyrie Irving and DeAndre Russell as your backcourt of the future? Is that a thing? That is a thing. That That is um, uh, Anthony Pukio of Nets Daily, friend of the pod, been on here before, reported that the Kyrie-DeAndre Russell pairing is something that people within the Nets organization uh, are comfortable with. Um, because sure. if Kyrie is like if Brooklyn's the favorite for Kyrie, which is what it seems like right now. He bought a house in South Orange apparently recently. Um, so is also little... from North Jersey. So like that's yeah. I don't, I, I don't know. That's just, I, these are little tidbits. I'm just saying. Like Kawhi bought the place in San Diego, and um, he bought the place in South Orange. These are just little things. I don't know if they mean anything. Probably not. But um, I, I mean, I like, I have also, a friend who basically has been convinced for the entire season that KD and Kyrie are coming to the Knicks and sent me a thing the other day. KD bought some house in New York. Like, I don't particularly think any of this stuff means all that much. Like these guys have more than one house in a bunch of different locations. And like Kyrie, especially buying a house in New Jersey, like he's from New Jersey. That doesn't mean anything to me at all. But I mean, yeah, if they want to, you know, put Kyrie with D'Angelo Russell, like go ahead try it out. Why not? I don't know that Kyrie is necessarily going to be happy playing with you know different young guys that haven't won anything um but you know go ahead and try it i just i i, I like i still like spencer dinwiddie a lot more than i like d'angelo russell so like my idea would be like if you sign Kyrie, you let d'lo walk let him go to the magic sign the max offer sheet with orlando and say thanks for the fun year but i i don't know i'm just still not sold on him as a two-way player that i would give uh, just max money too. I I would be very very dubious of doing it, um, with Russell. But then again, like I just think about like Kyrie and Spencer Dinwiddie. I think that'd actually be a much more interesting long term, uh, pairing, uh, for them. And also, I just really want to see Karis LeVert continue to grow. Like I really want to see if he can be a star. Do you? I love Karis LeVert. He, he was awesome at the start of this year before he got hurt. Yeah, it made me so happy because last year at the start of the season he was getting like all of the same looks that he got when he was like awesome at the start of this year. And it was just like, they had a a lid on the rim. Like none of them were going in. They were still really good looks. He was getting wherever he wanted on the floor. And the dude just like could not hit a shot. Um, And I actually asked Kenny Atkinson about it at the start of the season, uh, maybe like a week or so before Karras ended up getting hurt. Um, And he was like, yeah, I mean, sometimes it happens and Karras fought through and he was much better by the end of the year. And we're not surprised that he's been this good at the start, like, which made sense. Like he, he was playing this well last year. The shots just weren't going in, um, which is a weird thing to say, because obviously the shots need to go in for you to be good, but I didn't see anything necessarily qualitatively um, that changed about his play. It was quantitatively. He just, the shots went in instead of rimming out. Um, So he's, he's really, really good. And I want to see him do well too. All right, um, we need to wrap up here, Jared. But this has been great. I I always love talking basketball with you, man. Um, is there anything we need to look out for you this week outside of the notes that will be popping up 
uh, tomorrow night because game one of the finals is tomorrow night. Uh, yeah, the, the notes will be out there. My last night in basketball video series will come out um, the day after every game of the finals. And uh, I'm sure I'll be popping up um, all the different places that I pop up at writing wise. And you can usually just follow me on like, you probably don't want to follow me on Twitter because I'm kind of annoying, but if you want to read the stuff, then you have to, um, because otherwise you won't see the links. So, yeah. Do that. Jared's the best. Jared, thank you as always. And shout out to your little dog who I think is the same breed as mine. I, I want to, I, I don't you have a men pin? Am I crazy? Yeah. He's a half mini pincher, half chihuahua. And, uh, he's, uh, angling to get taken for a walk, uh, for the last, like, I don't know, five minutes. He's giving me the stare down. So, but well, yeah, he is it on me. He's, 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 uh, he angles at like a different time every night. And he knows that I always take him out at like basically the same time. But you know, uh, what's your, what's your mini pitcher's name? Bandit. Ah, very nice. How old? Uh, he is 16. Oh, wow. A lot older than my guy. He's two. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> a little bit of an age difference. Yes. Yeah. He um, also still thinks he's like two months old and he is like very puppy like and jumps on literally every person and dog that we see when we walk down the street. But people are okay with it because he's very small and very cute. Yeah. It's all that matters. Uh, dogs are the best. Very dog friendly on this podcast. Jared, go walk your pooch and uh, <laughs> we will talk again soon, man. Sounds great. Thank you for having me. And that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. I uh, just want to remind you guys, if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, I would really appreciate it if you could take a second, leave the show a five-star rating and a review. If uh, you're not an Apple Podcast listener, remember you can find the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, be sure to check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing. I'm writing there fairly often and also follow me on Twitter at chase underscore Thomas and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash chase Thomas writer. Uh, thank you for your support and we'll be back in another episode very soon. Thanks guys. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.